So what are the battle plans for Penn State? In today's episode, I have a little help in discussing Penn State's strategy going up against Utah in the Rose Bowl. You are Locked On Nittany Lions, your daily podcast on the Penn State Nittany Lions, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for making Locked on Nittany Lions your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Zach Seiko, your host as always. And if you haven't already subscribed to the YouTube channel, thanks so much for the support there. Of course, if you get the audio version of the show, thanks so much for just tuning in to all the latest episodes and comment any feedback. Of course, as always, open to any of your questions or comments about the show. And I, I love being able to do this with fellow Penn Staters. Uh, colleagues, good friends of mine, and today I oh. am privileged to be joined by a co-worker, a good friend, a co-host of other, because I work at a radio station and ESPN Radio and State College, and he is Matt Bortner on the other side. Matt, thanks so much for joining me here. You and I get to talk Penn State a lot, <laughs> given that our station does cover them pretty frequently, but now here we're doing it over on the podcast. And jumping the gun saying good friends, you're awful, oh, uh, yeah. awfully presumptuous. Now, uh, fun to be, uh, always fun to be talking Penn State sports with you. Yeah, in today's episode, we're going to be talking game plan, X's and O's, what we expect and what Penn State should do when they're on offense, when they're on defense, and how we expect Utah to counter. We don't really know the game plan as well for the Utes, but if we were the coaches for Utah, what would we draw up to stop or try to limit Penn State? And then we'll finish the last segment looking at the class of 2023 again. If you hadn't already, go check out yesterday's episode. Go through every single prospect and uh, you know where they're from, what traits they have, just a player profile for everyone that at the time of the airing of this episode, it's already going to be, uh, everyone's going to be signed on the dotted line. Uh, there is a chance that they could get one other interesting prospect in a Daniel Harris. Uh, he is a cornerback out of uh, Florida, but it's down to, by the time that you might watch this episode or listen to it, uh, he's going to be signed somewhere, and hopefully that's Happy Valley, that's Penn State. But we're talking Rose Bowl to begin things, and let's let's go with the offense when Penn State has the football. Uh, Matt, this offense has taken not necessarily, I wouldn't say, a, a makeover approach to the way things have been, but since Parker Washington went down, yeah. we haven't seen him back. Uh, the offense has changed, and I, and you're not seeing a spread type of offense. Penn State's not trying to push down the field. But they're they're rather trying to be conservative. They they're trying to go ground and pound and split between Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen. Since we know that Parker Washington's not playing, uh, do you expect more of the same with those heavy packages, the tight ends, and, and possibly three tight end formations? And Sean Clifford not throwing as much against Utah. Yeah, I don't know if I would say not throwing as much. I think he's still you know passed the ball a effective and a. A decent amount of times, even without Parker Washington, but I wouldn't expect it to be the focal point like, I mean, we haven't seen since Parker Washington's been out. Um, I think when you look at what Penn State will try to do in this game, um, your focal point is your running backs in this. Um, Nothing has really, I think, changed in development of 
you know, Mitchell Tinsley is a is a a good receiver. I wouldn't call him a game breaking receiver, um, but he's a a quality receiver. But I just don't think you have other than mismatches at tight end. I don't think Penn State has anything has changed at this point to say, hey, we really have an advantage in our passing attack. Um, and I think with this extra amount of time, you can see more wrinkles in terms of the short passing game, getting screens involved, maybe even some tight end screens. But I think more importantly is different types of runs with the running backs. Maybe we'll see some two two running back sets more than we have this year with um, having these guys available. And, I mean, maybe, too, you see them flank out wide a bit more if Kevon Lee's healthy. Um you know, there, there's a lot of things I think you can do in this run game with having a month to prepare against Utah, who is um, just just all around um, a a solid football team. Uh, I, I think it's Penn State's since since obviously since playing Ohio State and Michigan, it is the toughest opponent they will they will face this year. Yeah, I find I really do find it interesting when people say that there's because I've looked at some of the the expert early predictions and people are saying that there's going to be a lot of points. Uh, there's been key opt outs. It's really just been Joey Porter Jr. and, and Clark Phillips. And yeah, both those guys uh, set the tone when it comes to the passing game. But lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah. They, they are able to take away a side of the football field. But I I also look at the fact that I think these are going to become more run-focused type of teams going into this game. Uh, Cam Rising is going to be without his favorite target, his, the best weapon, arguably, and that's Dalton Kincaid. And if it weren't for Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen, I would go to argue that he's just the best athlete, period, when it comes to either offensive attack. But we're talking Penn State's offense first here. Uh, so you're expecting more of the same, that they're going to run the football, and they're going to try to use the tight ends and play action, and they're not really going to try to open it up and go deep. They're just going to uh, basically get the lead and then play with the lead. Yeah, and and I think, too, it's – here's what I'll say about Penn State's passing game, too, is it is most effective when they're having a good run game and they're yep. able to set up passing from that. So that's that's the sort of passing attack you look for Penn State is – plays that are set up uh, from their run game right now because that's just, you know, that's sort of their makeup, especially without Parker Washington. Um, and that is that has been what Sean Clifford has been best at in his career. And I think that's also something to take a look at now is not saying that he's indispensable and Penn State doesn't mm-hmm. care if he gets hurt in this game, but you're not saving Sean Clifford up for for the long haul. So uh, if he gets uh, some looks at running the ball, some different looks there, I would expect, you know, Sean wants to go out uh, in a blaze of glory and and sort of this would be his, you could say, biggest win, signature win on his resume if he goes out on top in the Rose Bowl. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see um, maybe not so much dedicated runs, but him deciding, hey, if nothing's there, I'm just going to take off and run and put my body on the line. Yeah, that's. I think that's an excellent point because throughout the season, Penn State was worried about the longevity. That yep. you, it's not that they couldn't turn to Drew Aller like last year when they had 
Taekwon Roberson and a really inexperienced Christian Bayer because he had lost all that experience in football. There was no... But they was, yeah, they obviously felt mm-hmm. he was their best option of winning football games this year. Yeah. So, and I'm not... But they, they actually had that insurance behind yep. him this year. But yep. still, Sean Clifford was here. People are going to disagree, and that's fine. Be in the comments. Disagree and say that Drew should have been the starter all along. Get him uh, uh, yeah. developing a little earlier. That's fine. That's a different conversation. Uh, but Sean Clifford, they wanted to protect him, and that's why you don't see him run as much. And, yes, it would be his most signature victory because, Matt, um, the only one that I can really think of is the 2019 game against Michigan. Yeah, and I think you'd throw out you know, how the game started this year, and it's not – when you're looking at best opponents, it's not going to come there. Yeah. But the comeback victory against Purdue to start the year, that was a, a gutsy victory and a – a poised victory by Sean Clifford, but I don't think people are going to, you know, mem- his best memory isn't going to be, oh, the- these wins. That's just not what Sean Clifford's legacy is going to be. Right. I think you could also go back to to one of his best performances or best wins would have been against Memphis uh, in the Cotton Bowl as well. Fair but, enough. Yeah. But Rose Bowl, to me, would be he has a good performance. He leads him to victory. That's the one that's going to stick out the most to Penn State fans. I mean, Penn State's taking this one very seriously. It's not to say that Utah isn't, but with the lack of opt-outs, I mean, there's, I, I think yep. there's prestige is kind of on the line in this game. Plus, uh, getting guys back in this game for Penn State, possibly. If is Olu going to play? Is Caden Wallace going uh, they, to play? They expect so, them to be available. Yeah. You know, James Franklin said that, and uh, and that's a boost in itself. You know, Juice Scruggs intends to play. Uh, Sal Wormley is going to be healthier. Yep. And Hunter Norzad's going to be a guard. Like, so yeah, you run the football <laughs> if you have that offensive mm-hmm. line. Okay. So now if you're Utah, I, I think the obvious answer, as we conclude this first segment around Penn State's offensive game plan, then we'll get into what we expect Manny Diaz to do and what he should do. But if you're Utah, you just sell out for the run, right? Yeah. I mean, that's. You make Sean Clifford make a pinpoint pass down the field. You keep uh, you you protect the, protect against the screens. You you play aggressive there. Try to get tackles in the backfield, and you load the box yeah. and and try to um, keep Penn State at bay in the running game. And I think you know that's sort of. Something I would debate whether Penn State did enough of that this year in some of their key games, uh, loading the box more and with how talented they are in the secondary, uh, just making teams beat you on big plays. You know, so be it if you yeah. if you finally get bit uh, beat on a big play, and if that continues to happen, okay, maybe make your adjustments there. But I think that would be the smart route for Utah to take in this game. Yeah, you can definitely load the box. You can play one-on-one, and it's not that Mitchell Tinsley and Keandre Lambert-Smith aren't capable, but uh, Penn State's going to use the ground well, game. Well, it's, to... it's a, it's a two-factor thing there, yeah. Zach. It's, yeah. it's do you think they're capable of doing it, and you still have to have the downfield pass be on target as well. Yeah, and we've seen that as Sean Clifford, in terms of deep ball accuracy, has been a little unreliable, so... I expect them to ground and pound with Singleton, Catron Allen, and now that we expect Kevon Lee to be back in the fold, take the pressure off of Sean Clifford. You have the offensive line to protect, and if you're Utah, and something that was interesting to me, they aren't really that great at getting after the quarterback with just four. They got to send the blitz, so 
I do expect Utah to be a little more aggressive in the box, given that Penn State is just going to try to be the more physical team in this game. It is Locked on Nittany Lions. That is Matt Bortner on the other side. He's a co-host with me here at the radio station. We're going to step aside for just a moment. When we return, we're going to talk about Utah and how are they going to set things offensively and what Penn State's going to do to counter them defensively, what Manny Diaz is going to put together. It is Locked On Nittany Lions. Today's episode is sponsored by Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From pro football to college bowl season to basketball, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Thanks for making Locked On Nittany Lines your first listen today. Hey, for your second listen today, check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Zach Seiko, your host of Locked On Nittany Lines. Joined by on the other side, if you're watching this on the other side of the screen, Matt Bortner, co-host of mine. We talk Penn State sports all the time, colleagues at the radio station that we work at together in State College. Okay, Matt, uh, we just finished up talking about the battle plans for Penn State's offense. How about Penn State's defense? I mean, Manny Diaz in this group, now that they're all adjusted to the system, uh, they're they're ready to go. I don't expect uh, like any, any lapse. And, and we've seen what Penn State's been able to do. I know it was against lackluster competition, uh, but they've been able to survive without Joey Porter Jr. because Kalen King and Johnny Dixon are capable of holding down the fort. So it, and I, I watch particularly the film from the Oregon Utah game. When you get pressure on Cam Rising, mm-hmm. when the defensive line puts their hands in the air, Utah does not move the football as well, and they're going to be without their best passing target in Dalton Kincaid. So I not only do I like Penn State's defense in this matchup because they're so blitz-happy and Cam Rising is not the best, I would say, against pressure, but how do you think Penn State's they're, – they're just not going to break away from the brand is what I'm getting at. Well, and I think – you you know you sort of look at totality in Penn State's defense in whole. The only real issue they had was that Michigan game. You can take yeah. a look back at the final score of the Ohio State game, but Penn State's defense really was uh, put in a bunch of tough situations. They put Ohio State in in uh, conflict that whole game. Uh, yeah. They they stuffed them on short runs. Uh, they didn't really until late with Marvin Harrison Jr., give up many uh, uh, deep plays, and I think maybe they didn't adjust uh, the best way on on putting the your best defender on Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, so I don't think they're, if you're looking on one-on-one matchups too, I don't think there's anything where you look and you say, oh, I, I just don't know how Penn State can defend this guy. I don't think there's... A, a typical guy, uh, a specific guy on the Utah roster for their offense that that does that. Uh, Solomon Enos is a, is a good receiver. Uh, yeah. um, his dad actually played at Penn State, Curtis Enos. Um, but 
I, I think if you sort of look where Penn State's problems lie this whole year, it's it's their coverage within the linebacker union yep. unit. I'm even glad though, you went there. Glad even you went though, there. even though Kincaid's out, they still got some reliable guys at tight end. We'll see see how they use them. And I think also like Sean Clifford. Camerizing's going to lay it all out on the line. Oh, he's in this tough. Game. He's tough as nails. Yeah. No, he he's absolutely. Uh, you start with him because I'd expect to see him running a lot too in this game. He sets the tone with with his toughness. Like he that that hit he took against USC yeah. and pop right back up. I don't know how you, USC's soft on defense though. Uh, they yeah. can't tackle worth anything. And Penn State's a much surefire tackling team. Yeah, they're blitz happy. I would say the biggest matchup. I'm glad that they don't have Dalton Kincaid, but if yeah. I'm Penn State, I'm keying in on first, let's start with the running game because Utah yeah. is able to cycle between a few backs. Uh, Tavion Thomas is their leader, 687 yards on the ground, seven touchdowns, but then you have Jaquindon Jackson who showed flashes in the USC game, and he actually leads the team in rushing touchdowns, so that dynamic duo, then you have Micah Bernard out of the backfield, yep. so it's both, that's why I'm saying like this is going to be a low-scoring game. Yeah. I, I with the way that the game plans are set up, and Parker Washington's your best receiver. He's out. Dalton Kincaid is your best pass catcher. He's out uh, for different reasons, obviously. But you are losing that reliability in the air attack. So why not go with your best asset and just stick to what works? And for Utah, the ground game's been working. The play action's been working for Penn State as of late. Nicholas Singleton. Katron Allen, they've grown up a little more. They can be featured backs. You get Kevon Lee back into the fold. Uh, so if I'm Manny Diaz, I'm doing exactly the same thing. I'm loading the box. I'm going man to man on the outside. I don't think that Money Parks or Vele on the, even though they're yeah. they're quality receivers. I'm not saying that, but Joey uh, Joey Porter Jr. is not available. But Johnny Dixon and Kalen King, I think, can I mean, go one on one with them. Just sort of what I talked about with with Penn State's offense. Yep. I don't I don't think there's a guy that you're targeting this this if if there's a certain match, uh, we're we're really targeting this guy. I I I just don't I don't really see that. I I think it comes down to again is your in the middle there with your linebackers, if you're going to want to attack Penn State's passing game, I think that's the best place to do it. Yeah, and Thomas Yasmin is going to be the guy. Yeah. I think if you're going to... He's quality. Five touchdowns this year, yeah. 300 yards. As as the third string yeah. tight end, Matt, because Dalton Kincaid wasn't even the number one guy until there were injuries in the tight end room. So Well, and yeah. big, big play ability out of them, just 12 catches... And I mentioned 300 yards. That's 25 yards per catch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's very capable. I I am not. Even though I, you look, Matt. If you look at the locked on Nittany Lions comments on YouTube from some Utah fans or college football fans in general, just looking for a good game, uh, people say, well, you know, you can't sleep on Thomas Yasmin. I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not by any means. I think that uh, it, it's going to be difficult to stop them because you're getting physical versus physical. And which side's going to have the advantage? I think this is the one of the more even matchups that you're going yep. to see. Um, now, if you're Utah and you know that you're going to get a blitz-happy defense from Manny Diaz and you know that your quarterback isn't the best under pressure, but they're going to sell out for the run. So how do you counter all that? In terms of if you're if you're Utah, how do you, how do you take the pressure off of uh, how do you take the pressure off of Cam Rising if you're going to see a lot of pressure in your ground game? I don't think yeah, the ground game is yeah. going to get going right away for well, Utah. Well, and, and and I think 
part of it could be, you know, your quarterback draws, your if you can get yeah. Cam rising on um bootlegs. Yeah, bootlegs uh and getting the run game going. Yeah. It's it, it, again, it sort of sounds but like I'm talking about But if the run game's not that, there right away, what do you do? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's that's sort of that's the up you to take, Utah. You, but you take a take a look at at Penn State's offense too. I don't I don't know that they're built to really throw themselves out of those situations. It it comes down to um you put trust in your defense then and try not to make mistakes. I I, I think that's big in this game is you don't want to be the quarterback uh, making the big mistakes if you really trust your defense so much. Now, the benefit of Cam Rising being that he's a veteran, Manny Diaz was so good at confusing opposing offenses uh, up to this point in time, and now he's not going to have that same luxury. Um, Rising's not going to be fooled or faked out by anything. And I want to remind some of the Nittany Lion fans that uh, this Utah offensive line is pretty damn good. (laughs) They've only allowed eight sacks, and like I said, they're averaging over 200 yards per game on the ground. So it's not going to be easy to stop them, but that's just that's basically it. You know both teams are going to be run first. You're going to sell out for the run, and then it's adapting to the play action. And I think that Yasmin is going to have a Dalton Kincaid type of day just because he's going to step into that focal point role because the boundary corners are so reliable. So is Kobe King, is he mature enough now to handle that spot at the Mike linebacker? Because you can't put Tyler Elsden on him. You need Kobe King's athleticism, and I think I don't know that Jair Brown. Are you going to match Jair Brown with him? Who would you pick? Would you pick Kobe King or Jair Brown to go up against Yasmin? I, I mean, probably Jair Brown if you're you're looking at because, you know, Kobe King showed the athleticism, but it comes down to consistency and just in general that that linebacker group. If you're looking at, um, as a whole, now Abdul Carter had. A phenomenal season, um, but it, it's just depth-wise and yeah. and reliability. That's that's the one weakness this team has. So I think it's funny too. You look at just Utah's program it, when you you think about Pac-12 football. Yeah, they sort of they don't fit that mold or whatever the stigma people have about you know the West Coast teams. This has been a program that is. Um, really relied on their physicality under under uh, uh, Winningham, so they yep. they've been uh, it's a consistent under them. It's you, you're going to play tough. Yeah, you're going to get like I said, mano y mano, physical versus physical. This isn't the same finesse Penn State team that they would like to be. And for Mike Yersich and company, you're going to see a lot of T backfield. Uh, you're going to see a lot of those double tight end sets in the backfield lined up to the hips of Sean Clifford. Uh, and they're going to go ground and pound, and same thing with Utah. Why not? Uh, it, just with the way that they've been physical all season. This is Locked on Nittany Lions, and my partner in crime for today's episode is Matt Bortner on the other side. When we return, our final segment is going to be talking about the Penn State recruiting class of 2023. At the time when you're watching this show, everyone's going to be signed on the dotted line. So just our thoughts about the class of 2023 and how much of an impact they can have on this Penn State football program. That's coming up next. This is Locked On Nittany Lions. Thanks so much for joining me on another episode. And I say that to you, the listener, the watcher, but also Matt Bortner, who is co-hosting with me and bringing him on to analyze the game plan between Penn State and Utah. Just like some actual X's and O's and what we expect to, for both teams to roll out in terms of game plan and attacking one side. 
Now let's get into the future of it and finish up. Again, go check out yesterday's episode where I talked about the class and gave a, play, a player profile for every single kid that was committed to Penn State. Now they're officially signed, depending on when you watch this, but this is going up on early National Signing Day here, Wednesday, December 21st. And this is a really good class. They're just outside of the top 10. They were as high as seventh, I think it was, Matt, when they had some other guys committed. They didn't really lose. They lost some impact players, but I think Penn State was able to recover. They're going to have uh, 23 scholarship commits, and then they're obviously going to have the preferred run-ons. Uh, and guys that are just going to come in. Commit. I mean, look at Adam DeLuca, for example. So don't rule anybody out just because they don't have all the flashy three, four, five stars with them, but obviously that's well, they nice. got quite They got quite a few of them, though. <laughs> yeah, they got a lot. I mean, and, and Penn State is so good at finding the diamond in the rough early. They go yep. after, I mean, take Drew Aller, for example. They scouted Drew Aller immediately. They were one of the first to offer him, and that's why he's at Penn State. I, uh, I, I think you're looking, I mean, he was still sought after, but take a look at Jevin Williams now. He is yep. the, the a five-star by uh, 24-7 Sports and is now, uh, now ranked as the number one uh, player in the state of Pennsylvania and number five overall uh, when it comes to uh, to offensive line. Oh yeah, no, he's the number five overall prospect. Period, and that's and that's from on three. So they yep. all of the whatever rivals twenty four seven on three ESPN like they all have their their different scouting departments. But, but he he shot up the boards big time on yep. all of them. Yep. I mean, even Alex Birchmeyer, if you look at some of the ratings, he's uh, the number one interior offensive lineman, Yep, if you will. Uh, so, yeah, Penn State uh, definitely getting they've, – they've really set up the offensive line here. Is that the takeaway from the class of 2023? That was one of mine is that they, they got some really good offensive line prospects with Donko, Anthony Donko, Birchmeyer, and Javen Williams. Yeah, I, I think that, and then you look at the secondary and oh, linebacker yeah. as well. I think in, in just terms of, well, on defense where you were looking to shore up your depth the most, linebacker you hit big with getting three yep. linebackers and Kavion Keys, Tamir Robinson. Keys was uh, the late flip from yep. uh, UNC and Tony Rojas. Um, that, to me, was was super important. Um, and then you just talk about the offensive line, how many quality guys they got on the offensive line, uh, two in Birchmeyer and Jevin Williams, who are regarded by everybody as as uh, some of the top offensive linemen in this class of 2023. Um, you look what Penn State's building at offensive line. Yeah. You can now you haven't been able to say this in a long time, but it is a position group that you now feel really comfortable about. Um, at times we felt excited about the future, but I feel like you now, like it's a reliable excitement it's not about a liability the future. Anymore. Yeah, it's not. It's not like a, oh man, we hope this is the year they break out. There's some. There's some interesting pieces there. It's like, all right, now we got to decide which of them is our is our best offensive lineman yeah. because of there's so many good offensive linemen on this Penn State roster, and that's. Uh, you look at Michigan and Ohio State, the runs they've had in the Big Ten. You can take a look at, um, obviously, the quarterback position when when they've had their their best moments has been really good. Ohio State has been so reliable at quarterback, but 
there's also one thing that goes hand in hand with that, and those two teams have had some very dynamic offensive lines, and um, with possibly Drew Aller being um, superstar, I, yeah. I mean that's the type of ability he has. You put those thing two things together. In terms of where offenses are built, that's very exciting for this Penn State program. Yeah, and you you bring up the secondary. The the question now that I want to pose about the class of 2023 is, before I get to, actually, I want to save it for last, you know, your most important prospect. Uh, is it Williams? Is it Birchmeyer? Whoever. Uh, I have one one player in mind particularly. Are you concerned that there's only one wide receiver commit in this class, and that's Carmelo Taylor? And he's he's good. He's the kind. Yeah. He's got that Jahan Dotson build. He's a little. He's he'll he'll put on the weight, but he's a little lighter. He's five foot eleven, 155 pounds currently listed. Uh, but he's a four star. But he's the only guy coming in. Does does that bother you at all? A bit. Um, okay. And, you know, though, sometimes it just comes down to is is there guys that are in our grasp to get as as the wide receivers um, with the transfer portal. And, and we've seen the possibility of bringing in Cephas, uh, Dante Cephas yep. uh, from Kent State. You can cover up um, the the immediate um, of not getting a wide receiver. I think Penn State's tight end room is so deep that helps them out yeah. a lot. But I I would expect next year that would probably that and and maybe running back because now you're getting towards the tail end of of uh your running backs now, their career in terms of Singleton and um uh oh You're blanking Katron Allen? Yeah. <laughs> and we were talking about him, but uh and Katron Allen um because Expect maybe they have the chance to leave early, um, but yeah, both the the skill position I think is what's going to be hit next uh, in in the twenty twenty four class. But I, I I think when you look at guys that make are going to make quality impact um, overall, I don't see a big concern in this twenty twenty three class. You're gonna you're gonna have to have wide receivers step up next year. Yeah. Um. In turn, is it gonna be Caden Saunders? Is it gonna be Amari Evans? Um. That that is a concern next year, though. Yeah. Don't forget about the recruits that they pulled in from 2021 and 2020 uh, as well. So, uh, and and just last year, as you mentioned, Caden Saunders from 2022, like he's kind of that. Is he that next KJ Hamler? We're going to find out um, if he can be that kind of reliable. And the tight ends, you know, you're going to have Tyler Warren, you're going to have Theo Johnson, whatever Brenton Strange decides to do. But then you get a prospect like Raplia, you know, you get Andrew Raplia in this class. Uh, So we've we've thrown out a lot of names. Uh, They picked up two running backs in this cycle as well with the London Montgomery and Cameron Wallace just as of late committing this week. Um, so yesterday out of the, yeah, I guess depend when you're listening to this, but out of, out of all the prospects who, who's the best that you think, or who has the most potential and maybe it's, it's Williams and Birchmeyer and maybe I'm overthinking this question. Yeah, I, I guess though, if I'm not throwing out an an obvious answer, I think one that really intrigues me, um, and I guess you got to hope too that there's no uh, late flip there from King Mac uh, tomorrow. I think because of how well Penn State um, has developed that safety position, 
I think King Mac is a guy that, you know, people will really look out for. Um, maybe not year one because you're so deep there. Yeah. Uh, but I think even with his smaller stature, uh, he is such a big-time playmaker. Maybe that's a guy that some people are, are sleeping on, even though he's at the top end of this class. I was going to actually say Elliott Washington. So yeah. we're kind of, and that's that versatility, too, because King Mack can either be a safety yep. or he can be a corner. It's wherever he fits best. Same with Elliott Washington, who they flipped from Alabama. I'm going to go with Tony Rojas because yep. I think he's going to get playing time at that on, mm-hmm. on that at the on-ball linebacker because you're going to have Abdul Carter. You're going to most likely have Kobe King in the middle, and then Tyler Elsden's going to be that guy as the on-ball, as the strong side linebacker. Uh, and, and that's Is Curtis Jacobs coming was, back? It, yeah. That's kind of assuming if Curtis Jacobs. So if Curtis Jacobs doesn't come back, then Tony Rojas definitely gets playing time right away. Um, if Curtis Jacobs does come back, then you are really set up yeah. at linebacker next year. So uh, this – the defense is really setting up nicely with guys, and, and all those guys, a lot of them on the defensive side, can have an instant impact, which is really nice about this class. Of, just like the class of 2022, Singleton, Katron Allen, Abdul Carter, guys, Deny Dennis Sutton that had instant impact, uh, that's going to be the same standard set for the class of 2023, uh, and, and the potential uh, is definitely uh, really a lot higher, I think, than 12th as the overall class when all said and done. Matt, before I let you go, where can people connect with you online? I really appreciate you helping me out with this episode. No problem. And as I mentioned, always uh, fun to talk uh, Penn State sports, especially yeah. Penn State football. But uh, if you want to check out most of my stuff, go to uh, Twitter, and that is M underscore Bortner. That is B-O-R-T-N-E-R, M underscore Bortner. All right, yeah, and for all the people that uh, yeah that are listening, so that's good for them. I do that as well. At Zach underscore Seiko for me on Twitter, and then Locked On Nittany for the show. Matt, thanks so much for your time, and thanks for tuning in for another episode of Locked On Nittany Lions. Thanks so much for making Locked On Nittany Lions your first listen today. For your second listen today, check out Locked On Sports today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts.